Agreed. It's all in the mindset. Yep. Being positive or negative. So yep. appreciate it. And yeah, you're taking the, uh, the business interview and a couple of steps further, hopefully with the mindset that people understand that and think positively and live in the present to enjoy those things. I mean, I wish I would have started the interview with that because that is the most important thing. Hey, well, we make an intro for a reason. I had to sign a personal guarantee. I had to basically like offer them up my first child. In order to be successful in franchising, I think that the franchisor needs to... Like I was warned, I got the advice, I got the warning. I said, no, that won't happen. You'll see, Snippets is different. And guess what? The first sunny Saturday, no one showed up for work. Hi, my name is Joanna Mizellis. I am the founder of Snippets, a chain of hair salons for kids. And most recently, I opened a yoga studio in Palo Alto, California. So this is my new venture that I'm now working on. You said Snippets. Is that nationwide? Because I know I definitely see a lot of them around here in Florida. Yeah, so they're spread out a little bit. We have 70 locations currently, and they're not clustered into any one specific geography. We've got quite a few in Texas. We've got some in California a pretty decent group in Massachusetts and a few other states all across the U.S. Out of school, did you just start opening, doing and becoming a hair cuttery or how did you start getting into snippets, if you don't mind? Yeah, so I'm actually not a hairdresser at all. I came up with the idea. If you could bear with me, I'll tell you a quick story. I was a young mom. I think I was 26 years old and I had one child and a second on the way. I had moved from California to Massachusetts, didn't have any family in Massachusetts. So when my son was ready for his first haircut, it was kind of like a big deal, kind of like a little bar mitzvah, you know, mini celebration for his first haircut. I had let his hair grow pretty long. I didn't really know where to take him to get his haircut in Massachusetts. So I asked some friends. We ended up going to like a supercuts kind of a place, just a family salon. It wasn't a horrible experience. They did a pretty good job. But, you know, I kind of left that haircut experience saying, I should open a children's hair salon. There should be a better way. There should be a place that's just for kids, that gets kids, that gets the moms who are excited about their kid's haircut or want it to be a special experience. So I came home from his haircut and I said to my husband, I should open a children's hair salon. And he said, you should call it Snippets. And right there I had this idea and I had the name and I couldn't get it out of my head. So I started researching. I started working on the idea and seeing if it was feasible for me, a girl with no business background. I was an African studies major at Duke University, so really nothing to prepare me for this. But I thought, well, I'm a smart girl. I can figure this out. How hard can it be? It's a hair salon after all. So I set about raising some money and writing a business plan and, you know, opening the first Snippets location, which was in Framingham, Massachusetts. What year was this? So the first location opened in 1995. That first haircut experience was, I want to say, 1993. And it took me about two years to go from, I have this idea, to we're opening the first location. It was a long process, partly because I did a lot of soul searching and thinking about whether or not I really wanted to do it and doing some research. And then, of course, I was having another baby at the same time, so a little bit distracted. And then I ended up writing a business plan and trying to go about raising some money for it. And that was when I kind of knew there was no turning back and I was definitely going to do it. And from that point, it was about, I don't know, like a year after that, that I actually opened the first location. And can you tell us about that soul searching and what were you doing at the time? Did you have another job? 
So I didn't. My first job when I moved to Boston, I was selling shoes at Ann Taylor stores. They had Joan and David shoes was a department in the Ann Taylor stores in the mall. And I worked there. And then I was also teaching aerobics. I've always been into fitness. So when we get to talking about my yoga studio, this will all come full circle. So yeah, I wasn't really doing, you know, I was young mom and I was working part-time teaching some aerobics, working part-time in the shoe store. I really just had to think about whether or not I could dive fully into it. And like I said, I had didn't really have any experience to lead me down this path. And the first thing that I did was I talked to a lot of people about it. So I talked to my mom and I talked to my dad and, you know, I was saying like, oh, I have this idea. What do you think? Should I do it? What should I do? And got a lot of advice from a lot of different people. And my husband was also very supportive of the idea. And he kind of thought it was something that I could wrap my arms around, even though I'm not a hairdresser. So when I was talking to my mom on the phone, she said, you know, my cousin, who's kind of my uncle, but more like a cousin once removed or something, who lives in Seattle, he does a lot of investing in small businesses. You should talk to him. So I called my cousin Doug in Seattle and I told him about my idea. And he said, you know, I just invested in a restaurant here in Seattle. I can send you their business plan if you want to see it. He sent me in the mail. This was before computers. This was like 1993, 1994. He sent me. Oh, he sent it by horse? He sent it by, yeah, by carrier pigeon. Yes. There you go. He sent this business plan to me in a manila folder. And when I opened it, it was like looking at everything I needed to know about my business in one place. And it had a description of the business. It was a restaurant. It was actually a pizza restaurant. It was called Cucina Cucina. And I read through this thing and all I could think was this applies to snippets. This is exactly what I want to do with snippets. So replace everywhere it says Cucina Cucina with snippets and replace everywhere it says pizza with haircut and read it again. And sure enough, it was pretty close. You know, it wasn't perfect, but it was pretty close. Think about like how they were, what their menu was going to be. Okay, so their menu was pizza and pasta and my menu was haircuts and bang trims how they were thinking about finding locations, going into strip malls and what the anchor tenants should look like and what kind of foot traffic it should look like. And I was like, yes, that applies. I'd never really thought about that before, but I was like, okay, that makes sense. And even getting down to the financials, which I had no idea how to even begin to think about how many customers would come in, how much money we were going to make, but their financial projections really helped me think through what my financial model was going to be. So in their business plan, the Cucina Cucina business plan, they were raising $300,000 in $10,000 chunks. So they were selling 30% of the company for $300,000 and each $10,000 chunk was worth 1% of the company. So I thought, well, that seems like enough money to start a hair salon. I don't really know how much it's going to cost, but $300,000 seems like that would get me where I need to go. So I basically just copied their plan. And I think a lot of people do that. You know, there's no shame in it. I used to think it was kind of like, oh, I plagiarized or I did something bad. But the more I listen to podcasts and I hear about other founder stories, I realize that this is just how you get your information. And there's nothing really truly unique about a business plan other than the parts that pertain to your particular business, the description of what it's going to be and how you're going to do it. So I set out to raise $300,000 and I started with my mom and my dad and my sister and my brother, ended out raising about $230,000 before I said, okay, that's enough. I don't have all of it, but I'm going to go ahead and pull the trigger. I'm going to start this business. And that's what I did.
And so for someone who might be in a similar position and them not knowing how to raise money or anything, when you gather that money from your family, are you just putting that in like your personal account or how are you taking care of that? Because it seems like that's a big hurdle once you decide to start taking on money instead of like maybe just using your own money or if it only costs a few thousand dollars maybe to start a company. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it is important to separate the money. I wanted to, one thing that was very important to me from the very early days of Snippets was that we looked professional and that we looked like we were already an established business, not like a mom and pop, let's just throw this together and cobble it out. So I did form at the time, I think it was like a, an S corp or an LLC or something. I don't actually even remember what the formation of the company was and set up a bank account and put all the money into the bank account. I kept really good records of the money that I was spending as well as the money that I was taking in. And the documents that were, that they used at Cucina Cucina were actually very applicable in terms of like giving like a stock certificate to the investor that says, you know, you invested $10,000 or $20,000 and you own 10% or 20% or 1% or 2% rather of the company. All right. So what's your next step? I mean, are you looking for location? Are you trying to figure out what to do next? Did you already have an idea? Yeah. So those are exactly the things was what to do next. Right. So I'm raising money. I'm kind of simultaneously at the same time looking for a location, thinking about what the salon is going to look like and how it's going to feel and what we're going to do what the experience will be like for customers and for hairdressers who come into the salon. So kind of working on all of those pieces all at once. So I ended up finding a location. I just happened upon, I was, you know, working with a real estate agent who was showing me this location and that location in strip centers and small shopping plazas in the area. When I happened upon a very large shopping center called Shoppers World, which is, it's actually the oldest shopping center in the country in Massachusetts. And they were redoing Shoppers World to kind of demol it and turn it into one of the first power centers, which is like a big box category killer shopping center, which has these huge stores in it, like Office Max and Toys R Us and Marshalls, like 30,000 square foot spaces. They have this one section in the very front of the mall that has three small spaces. It was like one space that they divided into three because it was right in the front and it was 1800 square feet and it was available. I literally felt like I was applying to Harvard to try to get that space. I said, I have to have that space. It's a high visibility, high traffic shopping center, brand new. Everyone's going to be going there. There's this one space that's waiting for me. And I had to sign a personal guarantee. I had to basically like offer them up my first child. You know, like yeah. I was waiting to find out if they would even take me. Forget negotiating the rent. I mean, forget saying like, oh, I want this or I want that in the lease. Like, no, it was just sign here if you want it. And they took me. So I had this amazing flagship location, which I really felt like by taking that awesome location, the customers would come. It would reduce my marketing budget and I would have this premier location that would just be a home run for me. And before you go any further, did you get advice on to go ahead and be in that area or like, because I think a lot of people might be like, oh, maybe the rent's too high, it's not worth it. It sounds like maybe you got some advice to make sure that you got in a high traffic area or high foot area for the haircuts. Yeah, so it wasn't so much advice. Like I lived in that area at the time. So I knew that that was the place to go that was very regional not just a local shopping center, but a very regional plaza. I really didn't care what the rent was. Like I was hell bent on 
getting that location and I would just do a bang up business there and whatever the rent was, it wouldn't matter. It would just be inconsequential based on how much business I could do. As it turns out, that location is still our number one location. It's been open 22 years now. Out of 70 locations, it's the best, but the rent is ridiculously high. So it's not the most profitable location that we have, but it is, I do think it really set me up for success because people saw it when I started franchising the business, which I did about five years later. From the time I opened the first location, I opened four more on my own. And then I started a franchise program in 1999. I think that that location being the flagship and being able to show it to potential franchisees and it was busy all the time in there. That set me up for success. It really did. And there was a long time that I wasn't making any money in that location. And I did have to do marketing. You know, I thought I wouldn't have to. I thought the customers would just line up around the block to come in and they didn't. So I did have to do marketing. I did have to do discounts. I did have to go through all of the struggles that any new business owner has to go through that I kind of thought I wouldn't have to. I did. But over time, we started figuring out our economic model and figuring out how many hairdressers we need at a time and how to predict the business and try to like be as tight on our economics as possible, really watch the numbers. And I do think that even though I'm not a finance person, I'm not a business person, I watched the numbers. It's just math, right? I never was really afraid to dive into the economics and try to figure out, okay, this is what we need to do to make this work. We need this many haircuts. We need this many customers. And if we're going to do this many customers, we need this many hairdressers. And really the only variable costs in the business are the payroll for the hairdressers and the marketing expense, which depends on how aggressive I'm trying to be in driving customers to the location. And can you tell us what you learned before you actually started franchising? Because I think there's a couple different series in your stories, I guess, with snippets, it sounds like. But maybe that first one, what you learned those first few years before franchising. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it was very important and good that I opened five locations on my own before I started franchising. So every location was different. I think that was probably the biggest lesson was you aren't really replicating the first one over and over again. Every one is different. You can use the same suppliers and you can order the same furniture and fixtures and whatnot and kind of looks the same, but the customers are different. The demographics are different. The, the employees are different. And every location has its own kind of feel and its own hometown that it's a part of. So the second location that I opened, my original business plan, which was basically what Cucina Cucina said in their business plan was one location a year for five years and then nationwide expansion. And I should point out that Cucina Cucina never really expanded past Seattle. So I don't really know what ever happened to them, but that's not my story. That's their story. But I opened the first location in 1995. It took me almost two years to get the second location open. And I was very nervous to open the second location when the first location wasn't really making money. I hadn't quite figured out the first location yet, but I decided like I just have to forge ahead and I'm going to raise more money and I'm going to open a second location. I'm going to show that if I go into a lower rent location, the customers will still come. So the second location that I opened was much more of a typical kind of strip center that opened in 1997. It did pretty well. You know, the economic model was a little bit better because the rent was lower and the overhead was lower, but it didn't do the revenue numbers that the first location did. 
but it did enough. You know, it started to get profitable and the first one was starting to get profitable. So then I went for a third one. The third one opened in 1998 and then I opened two in 1999. So I ended up with five locations in five years, but it didn't quite go one a year. And then in 1999, I started working on the franchise program and I thought, one of the things that I had read about franchising before I was really an expert or had really done it before was that it's important to have multiple locations before you franchise. It's very difficult to franchise with only one successful location because every location is different. It's really hard to replicate the success of one initial location where you, the founder, is there all the time and you know, what happens when you have two or three and you're not in every location all the time? How does that go? And, and there's just so many questions to be answered and to figure out the economic model and to also get some economies of scale with all of the furniture and fixtures and build out and all of that sort of getting that figured out for, you know, not just having done it once, but having done it several times. So I felt like I was well positioned to franchise. What was your lifestyle like when you started up that business? And then we can talk about what you learned when you started franchising. But like how many hours were you putting in, especially I guess now you had two kids at home? Yeah, so I had two kids and I had, I mean, the good thing is, is that each location was, I can staff it fully. I can't cut hair anyways, so I'm not going to be behind the chair. I can't fill in for a hairdresser who calls in sick. And believe me, I could spend the entire hour just talking about staffing and hairdressers who do and don't want to work with kids. But the only thing I could really do was work the reception desk and be on site as a manager. So I hired a manager for each location and I really didn't need to be in the stores all that much. Like it was kind of up to me how much I wanted to be in the salons. I kind of worked my schedule around my personal life and what worked for me. I had help at home. I did have an au pair who lived with us from Sweden and she helped with the kids and then I had a lot of help in the stores, so I could really kind of come and go as I wanted to. And then when I had three locations open, so this was like 1997, 1998 rather, I hired a district manager. And one of the girls who had been managing one of my locations, who was just a rock star, smart and calm and pleasant and kind, I asked her if she would run all three locations so that I could really work on getting the fourth and fifth one open. So I really like I was working a lot, but it was not really overbearing. I mean, I hear a lot of entrepreneurs who were like, oh, I wasn't sleeping and I wasn't, you know, I was working 24 seven and I was kind of like working as much as I wanted to work and I was stressed out a lot, but I wasn't really overly busy. What stressed you out the most during those early years? Money. Yeah. Tell us about that. Cause it, it seems like I'd be scared to open up the second location if you're barely profitable or not profitable at all. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of barely breaking even in the first location and I raised an additional 200000 to open the second location, which really wasn't enough. But I did have a little bit more negotiating power, so I got some free rent in the second location. I kind of had this no fear to go into it, but then it's kind of a funny thing, right? Like when you're starting, you're like, no fear, this is going to work. There's no way it's not going to work. But then when you have to pay the bills, suddenly you lose sleep at night. You know, I've got to make payroll and I only have a certain amount of money in the bank. It gets really, really stressful when you go from having money in the bank that you're using to start the business. So you're just writing checks for everything. Here's the check for the architect and here's the check for the contractor and here's the check for the millwork and here's the check for the phone system. And you're just 
spending, 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 spending. And then the day comes that you open for business and now the money's supposed to start flowing in, but it comes really, really slowly and you're still spending money going out. And it just changes from being this project that you're working on. Like, I'm just going to make it awesome and I'm going to spend as much money as I need to, to build this beautiful place to how come only six customers came in today? Okay. They're paying $15 a haircut. That's, I mean, I didn't even make a hundred dollars in one day. What am I going to do now? And that's when you get really stressed out. And that's kind of actually where I am right now with my yoga studio is like, oh my God, I'm not filling my classes. What am I going to do? I have to have my instructors. I have to make payroll. I have to pay the rent. And I'm done building a beautiful studio. Now I need the customers to come. Making you feel young again? It's uh, It sure is putting <laughs> me right back like deja vu all over again. That's for sure. It's really an interesting process. You know, you think also like, well, what have I learned in 20 years? I'm so much better prepared for the second time around. But a whole different group of problems come up. And, you know, just when you think you've figured it all out, it's something comes and crashes you over the head. And you're like, oh, I didn't think of that. So different things. What else could an entrepreneur or someone who wants to start their own business learn about from you growing snippets to over 60 plus locations? I mean, I think so many places where you really just have to learn by doing and you can get all the advice in the world and you think, well, it will never happen to me. So like, for example, I had one investor who was my next door neighbor. He told me that he went to his barber or his salon to get a haircut and his hairdresser told him she'll never be able to hire hairdressers who want to work with kids. The first sunny Saturday, they're not going to show up for work. And I was like, oh, he told me that, you know, and I was like, oh, that will never happen to me. Like I was warned. I got the advice. I got the warning. I said, no, that won't happen. You'll see. Snippets is different. And guess what? The first sunny Saturday, no one showed up for work. You know, there were like a hundred kids outside the door lined up licking the doors, <laughs> you know, like wanting to come in. And I had one hairdresser show up that day. Then you're like, what do I do? There's nothing, you know, you're calling every hairdresser, but there's only so many. I don't know. It's really, that part can be really, really stressful. And you have to just kind of learn it the hard way. You have to figure out how you're going to get people to show up for work on a weekend. How are you going to schedule people so that they get their lunch breaks properly? And all of the things that you have to think about, you don't think somebody's going to say, well, I didn't get my lunch break today. That's illegal, but they do. Tell us about that because most of us probably have no idea about this sunny Saturday. I guess they, they're just notorious for well, not... You know, you've got hairdressers who, you know, no one wants to work weekends. Right. Let's be clear. Yeah. <laughs> but every business is open on weekends. So that's it's not an option to take weekends off these days. You know, it used to be that everything was closed on a Sunday, but we're not closed on Sundays. We're open seven days a week. If they have something better to do, they may not show up for work. They may call out sick at the last minute. They may not call at all. And a bunch of them are fantastic. Like, don't get me wrong. You know, there's plenty of really, really wonderful employees out there who show up for work when they're supposed to and commit to their schedules and do that. But if you have some that don't, it really can throw a wrench in your day. And I mean, just to give like another example would be in franchising. So when I started my franchise program, I thought that I was delivering to my franchisees a package for a business that would make all of their dreams come true. And I thought that every franchisee would love snippets and love their business and love the kids and really just throw themselves into it. I didn't think, even though I was warned, that any franchisee would say, I wish I'd never done this. I'm not making any money. 
I have to sell my house now because I invested all my money in snippets and it's not working for me. Those kinds of things are really, really heartbreaking. And personally, you can't separate your business from your personal. It's devastating. That happened. Not every, you know, we've got franchisees who are wonderful, who love it, who are running successful businesses, but we have had a handful of franchisees who have not survived, you know, who've struggled and not made it. Whether it's their location, their marketing, their inability to recruit stylists, whatever it is that makes their business different from my business, not every business makes it. I don't think there's any franchise out there that has a hundred percent success rate. And that's kind of where you have to understand that that's going to happen, but no new franchisor. And I'm a franchise consultant now, you know, I work with early stage franchise companies. Nobody thinks that they're going to have a franchise that will fail any franchise that will fail, but they will. So now you say you're a franchise consultant. So did you do that as, as you were getting rid of snippets or you're still part of snippets? How, how does that work? So I left the day-to-day -day operations of Snippets in 2009. At that time, we had like somewhere over 50 locations through the franchise program. I decided to go back to business school. So I had this feeling like this feeling of insecurity all the way through my Snippets experience. And I always felt like I wasn't really qualified to be a successful business person to be the CEO of a company. I mean, I think it's a really weird thing when you're an entrepreneur and you're starting a company and kind of the first thing you do is order business cards that say, Joanna Mizellis, CEO. And it's like, nobody made me the CEO. I didn't earn the right to be the CEO. I just called myself the CEO. So I'm the CEO. But like I said earlier, I was an African studies major in college. I had no prior business experience and everything I learned, I learned from the school of hard knocks. You know, I learned as I went along and every time some Harvard MBA would come and tell me what I should be doing differently, I felt like they must be right and I must be wrong because what do I know? And I kept sort of listening to people who don't know my business. I had now at this point, I'd been in the business for like over 10 years. I'm pretty much of an expert in franchised hair salons now. Even a Harvard MBA doesn't know as much as I do about running a franchised hair salon company, but I didn't really like have that confidence. So in 2009, I left the day-to-day -day operations of Snippets and I decided to go get my MBA so that I could feel I had the education and the credentials to be a successful business person. And it was actually a really, really interesting experience because I went to business school with this experience behind me and nobody else in my cohort had that. So they were all really like I was in the beginning, like really starry eyed, like, oh, I just, I'm going to start a business. I'm going to raise money. It's all going to be perfect. And I'm like, yeah, not so much. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Good luck. Right. Like, you know, you guys are, you're, you're wrong. You're just wrong. You know, but I didn't want to be like a killjoy for everybody. Like, mm -hmm. no, it's not going to work <laughs> that way. It's all bad. And cause it's not all bad. You know, here I am doing it again because I love it. I really, really love it. So when I graduated with my MBA along the way with snippets, I had met quite a few people in the franchise industry. One very interesting sort of transition that happens when you decide to franchise your business is that you go from being in one industry to being in a new industry. So I was in the hair care industry for five years, and then I transitioned into the franchise industry. And the franchise industry is very regulated. It doesn't really matter whether you're franchising a hair salon or a daycare center or a restaurant. The industry is the same. You encounter the same issues, the same 
training that you have to go through, the same support that you have to provide, all of those sorts of things. So I started going to franchise conferences and I started networking in the franchise industry as much as I was in the hair care industry. Along the way, I met a guy named Dave Hood. And Dave Hood, who is my boss at iFranchise Group, where I do my franchise consulting, he at the time was leaving Auntie Anne's Pretzels. And he had been the COO, I think, of Annie Ann's. And he's basically the guy who took Anne, who was an Amish woman who started a pretzel shop, took her from a small business to thousands of locations. Really, really smart guy. Definitely like a very expertise in franchising, just insanely smart. He was in the process of starting a consulting company called iFranchise Group with another franchise expert who I didn't know at the time named Mark Siebert. So Dave and Mark started this company, iFranchise Group, and Dave asked me if I would be a consultant for them. I had just graduated from business school and I didn't really know what I was going to do next. I kind of thought I was going to go back to snippets, but I decided I really couldn't go back to snippets because I had really just gotten one foot out the door when I went to business school and then the other, like I was, it was just hard to go back. And were you still getting paid by snippets? Cause you were still majority owner there. Yeah. So I never, I didn't get paid when I wasn't working there. I didn't pay myself for the first few years. I actually didn't pay myself until, I don't know, like maybe 2000. And then I paid myself a modest salary until I left in 2009. You know, it wasn't like I made loads and loads of money off of snippets, but I owned good chunk of the company still. And so, you know, if there ever was an exit, I felt like I was in a good position, but I left the day-to-day operations in 2009. I did not have a salary because we had to hire a COO at the time who eventually became the CEO. When I decided not to go back, he became the CEO and I was done. I was still on the board, but no, no salary. I was done with snippets, just board meetings four times a year. That was it. Then you're saying, were you looking for a new position at that point? And you're talking about becoming part of iFranchise Group? Yeah. So when I graduated business school, I actually got a job for a couple of years working with startups. And that was a lot of fun in Boston. But then I was moving to California. My husband had an opportunity to move with his company out to California. So I now was in a position where I didn't really have anything. And so I took Dave up on his offer to to do some consulting for a franchise group. So I work with early stage franchisors and I help them put together their franchise program from a strategic standpoint. So I work with their attorney and the founder to help them put together their initial FDD, the franchise disclosure document, and all of the sort of decisions that go into the franchise program. And using my experience at Snippets, as well as like all of the best practices that we are have access to at iFranchise Group, I'm able to help virtually any kind of company. I've worked with everything from beauty salons to restaurants to music schools, all different kinds of things. That's been a really interesting experience. And I've learned a lot more about franchising because when you only have one business, you're like a worm and sauerkraut, like you're stuck in the jar of sauerkraut. That's all you see is your one business. And you don't really ever get out of that jar and see that there's a whole world out there of other businesses. So part of my reason for not going back to snippets was that I had kind of climbed out of the jar when I went to business school. And then when I got the opportunity to work at iFranchise Group, I really expanded my horizons and got to meet some really interesting entrepreneurs and help them. It's really, you know, it's been really a lot of fun, but I also had this itch to start my own business. Every time I was working with an entrepreneur, helping them franchise, I felt like I should be doing this for me. It's nice that I'm helping them, but 
I have so much more experience and knowledge now, 20 years later, I should do it again. And for doing it again, is there one or two things that we might be able to pick up from when you're at iFranchise Group or just say if I wanted to open a franchise, is there a few things that I should know beforehand, maybe similar type of mistakes that you see a lot of entrepreneurs make, even if they're in different industries? Yeah. So first of all, it's a regulated industry. So do you need to hire a lawyer and write your disclosure document and be very thoughtful about how you want to structure your program? In order to be successful in franchising, I think that the franchisor, the founder or the owner of the company needs to have done it multiple times. Having done it only once, one location, one business is really tricky you know, to replicate because it could be luck, it could be location, it could be who knows what that makes that one location successful. But like for me, opening five locations, I really got to see how the business works under different scenarios, opening at different times of year, different size locations, different demographics in the shopping centers, all those sorts of things. So getting to figure out which suppliers are most reliable that you can work with. So really an advice I would give to anybody who's considering franchising is to really think about how you could teach someone, how you can deliver to someone the recipe for running a successful business of that type and making sure that you have all of the components in place. So that's what I help them with. I think it's a great way to grow your business, but it's not the only way to grow your business. So I think, you know, making sure that you've looked at the opportunities to do company owned expansion, to continue company owned expansion while you're franchising is also very important to keep your skin in the game as an owner and opening locations and staying on top of what it takes to open new locations yourself. So I always encourage my clients to continue their company owned expansion as well as the franchise program. It's hard for people to do that because when you're, it's kind of all in on franchising and it's hard to do both, but if you can, it's, it's good. And then, so you started getting the itch then, and then can you tell us about your newest endeavor? Okay. So when I was in business school, my kind of like graduating thesis or my, we called it our capstone project was basically a business plan for a startup company. And I convinced my group, we had, there were like five of us in the group to do this fitness concept, which was different than my yoga studio, but you know, it was definitely along the same lines. So I kind of used my five team members to help me research and think through the economic model and the demographics and the customers and all of that kind of stuff and the economic, you know, everything that you would need to, to start a fitness, boutique fitness business. And that was the end of that. Like I really, I thought, you know, it would be fun to do that, but it wasn't really top of my mind in Boston because I was busy. I had my kids, I had working and I just like, I had a pretty full life. So I didn't feel this kind of pull towards actually doing it, even though I did think like I should really do this. So when we moved to California, my husband was grooving in his job and I was getting my kids. I have two other kids, by the way. So like my two older kids are now grown and, and moved out, but I have two younger kids who are in middle school. You know, I'm getting them settled in school. They've just made this big move across the country, left all their friends in Massachusetts and they're starting over in California. And I had this sort of overwhelming feeling. What about me? Why am I here? I live in this place I've never been before. I have no friends and no life. So what am I doing here? And all I had to do was ask myself that question. And I knew the answer instantly. I have to open my yoga studio. Just like with Snippet, I knew that that was the thing I was going to do. I've had a lot of other entrepreneurial ideas that are 
could be interesting. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But this one, I was like, I got to do it. I have to do it. So I decided that I didn't want to get investors because I didn't like being beholden to my investors at Snippets. And I felt like that was kind of like what sent me down the path towards leaving Snippets when I left in 2009 was sort of pressure from my investors. So I wrote a very short business plan, not like a business plan to raise money, just sort of a, an outline of what I wanted to do. And I started looking for locations. I decided to do it. And it took me about over a year, over a year to go from, I'm going to do this to opening. And we've only been open six weeks. It's a brand new business for me and I'm having a lot of fun with it. The interesting thing about it now is that it's called Turbo 26 Studio and it is a yoga studio. We do 26 minute yoga classes that start every half hour all day long and you can stack them. So you can come for one 26 minute class or you can stay for two or three in a row, depending on how much time you have and how much yoga you want to do. I kind of forget what I was going to say about that. But um, when you did move cross country, you talked about that you had no friends and didn't know what to do. Tell us about that experience and maybe why you thought like doing the business route might have been something maybe find more of your purpose. Is that why you did it? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, I found my purpose. So haircutting for me was never really a passion of mine, right? I'm not a hairdresser. And I just had this kid who needed a haircut, felt like there should be a better way. And I was very, very passionate about the business, but I wasn't really passionate per se about haircuts. But I've been doing yoga for like 20 years and I've been in fitness. I used to teach aerobics. For me, like I feel like the yoga studio is a lot more aligned with my desire to grow a business and my passion for yoga, because I do believe that yoga can transform lives for the better. I really believe that what you can accomplish on your mat, you can accomplish in your life. I just love the business that I'm in as opposed to just being in business. Yeah, moving across the country in the middle of my life was tough, but I really wanted to do it because I felt like I was getting a little bit stale in Massachusetts. You know, I had been kind of a weird thing, right? Like I had been the snippets lady for so long. And that was my whole identity in Massachusetts. I'm the snippets lady, but now I'm not doing snippets anymore. I'm like working with startups and I'm kind of a little bit lost maybe like I hadn't really figured out, well, what's next for me after snippets. I always thought I would do snippets forever, but I didn't. Then I kind of realized, well, I'm not super young anymore, but I'm also not super old and I have a whole life ahead of me. Moving to California was just kind of eye-opening in that I have to make my own life here. No one's going to deliver it to me. My kids are older. I don't have that network of all the preschool moms that build your friends instantly that way. You know, I was sitting in my kitchen where I'm sitting right now, actually, but I was sitting like in my pajamas all day in my kitchen doing my consulting work and doing this and that, but not really feeling like I had a purpose. And I've always felt like I've been placed on this earth to do something extraordinary. Everybody's extraordinary is different. So my extraordinary may not sound extraordinary to anybody else, but I can't just sit around and do nothing. I can't leave this earth and say, well, I was a housewife. I started a company that did okay, but it wasn't like, didn't make all my dreams come true. I have to do it again. I suddenly went from being, I don't know, like kind of not depressed because I wasn't depressed, but kind of bored to having this unlimited energy to, I know exactly what I'm doing and here we go. Let's do it. Funny that you, what you're saying, cause I, I feel like I can relate almost identically on a lot of things that you're saying and I have my own business, but I was just kind of getting bored of it and just feeling like I was fulfilling a purpose as well. It's just like, 
Same old shit. It was just getting boring to me. I was always known for like doing commercial real estate to the people that I worked with. But it's like, I've got other things that I'm interested in as well. Maybe just like yourself, maybe you didn't always want to be known as the haircut lady. Was it hard to like get over that at some point when you were always known as that? You know what it's like? It's like when your kids go off to college, it's still my baby, but I'm not doing its laundry anymore. I'm done. So I'll always be the snippets lady, but I don't take care of it anymore. It's not my responsibility anymore. And I'm happy about that. I mean, if snippets had been, if I had felt like I had a place in snippets and I could be impactful at snippets and I could make snippets successful, like beyond my wildest dreams, I would have stayed. But I knew, I felt like my time was up there. I got to a point where I was getting a lot of pressure from my investors. I was having franchisees. It's very hard as the founder of a company to not take things personally. I have a franchisee that calls me and says, you know, I'm struggling with this. My hairdressers are not showing up for work on this sunny Saturday, whatever their problem is. And I would just cry on the phone. Like, I don't know how to solve your problem for you. You know, I know how to tell you how to open and run a business, but I can't solve all of these problems for you. And every franchisee encounters problems and, you know, they have to either be really resilient and figure out how to solve them or they complain to me and then I start crying. And, you know, it's just like, it just was time for me to move on. I don't think I really had planned what I was going to do next. I just knew I had to, I wasn't going to do snippets anymore and I wanted to go back to school. And then it was really just the move to California that was the catalyst for me. I don't know if we had stayed in Massachusetts if I would have ever done this business because I was kind of complacent there. And so now you're saying you feel re-energized? Totally. Like I'm 100% in. I am using every lesson I learned at Snippets to overcome the challenges of starting this new business. And it is full of its own challenges, but I am well prepared for them. And I couldn't be more optimistic. And we're still in the very early stages. So my main focus right now, just like it was in the first days of Snippets, is getting customers in the door. All I need to do is fill those classes. Like I needed to do at Snippets, I need to fill those chairs. You have to have customers coming in, making the business look vibrant, feel vibrant, to make the employees happy. You can't be a hairdresser and have no customers come in and just sit around and chit chat all day. And you can't be a yoga instructor and have one person in class and feel like you're getting energy from them. I feel the exact same way. That's what I was saying, even with this podcast. And now I'm like re-energized doing it versus doing the same kind of commercial real estate stuff. I'm in the exact similar situation where I'm trying to find listeners as much as I can. I can't just podcast and try to do this full time if, if it's just me and my mom listening. <laughs> right. That's exactly right. And like you think, you know, when you're entrenched in your business, it's your whole world. So you think that everyone else feels the same way. People have just been waiting for me to open. I've had this big coming soon sign in the window for three months. And now it says now open. So everyone's going to come in. It's going to be packed. And then it's like, oh, I didn't know you were here. Oh, how long have you been open? Oh, I didn't, I just saw your ad in the paper. I didn't even know about you. And it's like, how could you not know? <laughs> like I've been working on this for a year. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of funny, like how it's a big world out there and not everyone knows what you're doing. You've got to do the marketing and you've got to spread the word and you've got to get, you got to kind of have to just like pull out all the stops. And our classes start at Turbo 26. Our classes start every half hour. Once the class starts, I have like 25 minutes if I'm working the front desk. I have like 25 minutes of nothing to do. And then 
the next class starts and I'm busy. And then I have 25 minutes of nothing to do. So what do I do with those 25 minutes? I market, I'm emailing and I'm thinking about like who I can market to, the sororities at Stanford. I have to email and invite all the sororities at Stanford to come for a free class. I have to get everybody who works at the medical center to come take a free class. How am I gonna spread the word about this thing? That's my number one concern. And of course, there's every other concern as well. Like I have to make sure I have really good instructors and that they're really well trained and that my studio is beautiful and clean and working and all of that. But number one goal on minute by minute basis is marketing. Thank you for sharing a couple of ideas there. Cause I was going to ask your next thing. What are your ideas for marketing and how's everything going so far? Yeah, it's going really well. We're building every day, just like with snippets. It's not a home run from day one. So needs to, I have an awesome location and I am paying a lot of money for that location. So I need to, and it will work. It's just a matter of time. So, you know, people need to find out about it and word of mouth spread. So I couldn't be really happier. I have amazing instructors. And the good thing is, is that when I came up with this idea to open a yoga studio, I decided to go get certified to teach yoga. I never got my hairdresser's license because it's actually quite a long, it's like takes, I think almost two years to go to beauty school and get cosmetology license. But a yoga teaching certificate only takes like three months. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do that. I'm good at yoga. So I'm going to learn how to teach it. So that was really great also because I got very plugged into the yoga community in this area. And I was able to hire instructors as well as a manager who's amazing. She's like my right arm. I don't know what I would do without her, but she's also a yoga instructor and she used to own a retail boutique. So she has experience in so many, she's got very relevant experience for me. Between the two of us, we know a lot of yoga instructors. So we were able to get really great instructors who want to support us and want to see us succeed. And they're just teaching the most amazing classes. So it's been, in that regard, it's way better. Like snippets, it's just hard, hard, hard to find hairdressers who want to work with kids who are very good technical hair cutters and who want to be there all day working with screaming kids. And yoga is way easier in that way. Like we've got amazing instructors who want to be with us. So what's your vision of the future? My vision of the future is a lot like snippets. I feel like because I am an expert in franchising and it's what I know. Boutique fitness is super well positioned for franchising and there's tons of franchises out there. So there's, it's easy to learn from others who have done it. So my goal is to franchise and I would like to open one or two more in this area and then start a franchise program. So a lot like the way I did it with snippets, but hopefully this time a little bit uh, better, stronger, faster, smarter, get it done. And if someone would say, thank you for doing the interview, what's the best way for them to reach you? Well, on our website, turbo26studio.com, there's a contact us link that goes straight to me, or you can email me directly at Joanna, J-O-A-N-N-A at turbo26studio.com. And I'm happy to hear from anyone and give anyone a little bit of time about franchising. If you have a business and you think it would be a good model for franchising, I'm happy to consider that, take a look at it and give you my two cents on that. So uh, yeah, no, awesome. We'll put your LinkedIn profile in that contact info in the show notes so people can easily reach you if they have questions. And yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm a big advocate too for women in business, empowering people to live their dream. Like one of the things I love about the yoga studio is that you can inspire people with yoga. Every class we set an intention for the class. So we come to the front of our mats, we bring our hands together at heart center, close our eyes and set an intention. 
that intention can literally change the rest of your day, the rest of your week, maybe even your whole life. Just one small thing like happiness. Today, I offer you the intention of happiness. Happiness is a choice. You can choose to be happy if you find happiness in the process. There is no goal at the end where happiness will come to you. So enjoy the process. Enjoy your 26 minutes on your mat and then take that off your mat for the rest of your day. It just makes an amazing experience for everyone who's involved. No, I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, I've done some yoga myself, so definitely understood. And even further than just business talk, it's your choice to be happy or not happy. Yeah. So I think that's definitely important for people to understand. You can be down about certain parts of your business, you know, and that sucks. Of course, it's going to hurt for a little bit, but then you got to do something about it. Your choice is either just kind of sit there or do something yeah. about it. One thing that I made a very conscious decision with Turbo 26 that I did not do with snippets was I made a very conscious decision to start this business with joy, to find joy and happiness in every step of the way along the process. And that changed everything for me. When I started snippets, I was very young. You know, I had never done it before and I could complain about everything. And all you'd have to do is get me started. You know, how, how was your day today, honey? Uh -oh. oh my God. The contractor did this. This was over budget. That was late. This, blah, 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 like on and on and on. And I just told myself, I will drive myself crazy if I'm starting another business and I am down and like pointing fingers and mad all the time. So I am just going to enjoy the process every single day. And I remind myself of that every single morning. And many times during the day, it's changed the way I think about my business every step of the way. I'm doing this because I choose to do it. I'm doing this because I enjoy it. Nobody's making me do it. I'm not being tortured by it. So I love it. I love every single challenge. I think that every difficult thing that comes my way is a learning experience. Yeah, I tried not to focus on too much of the negative because all of us could on everyday things, right? It's so easy. Yeah, but it's just as easy not to. Right. Just as easy. Agreed. So I think once you are aware of that mindset, because maybe some people aren't like, oh, well, maybe I am always complaining about something and maybe I am lucky just to be alive today because 20 something thousand people didn't wake up from last night. Yeah. I had a client or like a customer come in for yoga. She's an architect and she was telling me I really needed class today. I am working with this client who's remodeling her house. She is complaining about everything. And she was kind of like, like venting to me about how she needed the yoga class to clear her mind because her customer, her client was being so difficult. And I said, you know, you can actually tell your client to find joy in the process of remodeling their house. Like tell this lady to just change her mindset right now, because how many people can afford to remodel their whole house? What a position of privilege she is in to be able to work with an architect, remodel her house, do this amazing project. Every single decision that she makes, whether it's tile for her kitchen or flooring for her bedroom, find joy in the process. This is an amazing opportunity. It's not just the outcome of the house at the end of like, oh, now the house is done and we're moving back in and yay, it's pretty. But all the steps along the way that will lead you to that result, that's where the joy comes. It's not in the end result. And she said to me, I'm totally going to do that. <laughs> You'll have to fill us in on how that went. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we'll <laughs> see when I see her again at yoga. But she was like, you're absolutely right. Like, I'm going to help my clients find joy in the process. 
being an architect can be very stressful. Your clients are very demanding, but everybody who's doing this sort of a project is doing it because they want to, because they have this opportunity. And you start the process with all this joy, like, oh, let's remodel the house. It's going to be so awesome. I'm going to hire an architect and we're going to make our kitchen gorgeous. And that's like the joy. And then it goes from there to like, oh my God, the tile's late. Oh my God, this thing's more expensive than I thought. Oh my God, this is not working out. But it doesn't have to be that way, right? Yeah. You just have to choose the joy and say like, oh my God, those tiles don't fit. I have to pick different ones. That's going to be fun. Agreed. It's all in the mindset. Yep. Being positive or negative. So yep. appreciate it. And yeah, you're taking the, uh, the business interview and a couple of steps further, hopefully with the mindset that people understand that and think positively and live in the present to enjoy those things. I mean, I wish I would have started the interview with that because that is the most important thing. Hey, well, we make an intro for a reason. Maybe we can do that for you. Get it started right. Yeah, that would be great. Cool. Well, uh, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate you in the uh, interview here, Joanna. No problem. I'm happy to, so happy to do it. Have a good day. If you're looking for other female entrepreneurs we've interviewed, then here you go. Episode five with Sarah Shaw of Sarah Shaw Consulting. Episode 12 with Dory Clark of Reinventing You. Episode 15 with Jillian Hellman of Realty Mogul. Episode 28 with Krista Colson of C Agency. Episode 33 with Dana Korn Van Noy of Sonic Boom Wellness. Episode 43 with Robin Smith of We Go Look. Or episode 48 with Siobhan Moran of Energetic Solutions. Guess what I'm going to say next? Please share the podcast. If you want to keep hearing more episodes of Millionaire Interviews, then please take the time to share it with somebody else. It's a win-win-win if you share it. Let me explain. By sharing the podcast, here's our first win. You'll be helping the person you share it with. How? Well, they're going to become smarter by listening. Here's our second win. You'll be helping us by growing our listener base so we can attract sponsors. And finally, our third win. You'll be helping yourself because the only way we can keep producing episodes is by growing our audience. So, the continuation of Millionaire Interviews is in your hands. What are you going to do?